It was the good news of, of, of the people of God, God coming, moving through the people of God to, to be a blessing to he and his family. Now, if you, like you just said, it wasn't like we gave and all of a sudden there was like this massive breakthrough. Everything was perfect and everything was great and there were no more issues. No, but it was the beginning of this journey. Right. It was the beginning. Of, and it was. And, and isn't that what good news does? Good news. Usually it's the beginning of a journey into something. It's just a it's a good news and good news that has to be shared because what it did is it changed everything for them. It began this journey. And it changed everything. We sat here on on Tuesday and, and watched as these beautiful families who came just in a difficult place like Gary and his family were came and said, we just we just need some help this Christmas. And we sat as I watched as. Is, is the good news, the good news of gifts being given to children caused moms to sit here just and weep as, as they were rapping. And I sat here just, I'm sitting here, you know, doing my really terrible job of rapping. Like my, 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 my rapping was like taking something and rolling it up and like, then like tying it off on the ends. It was really ugly. So I apologize, right? But it's like, but it's like I'm sitting here watching as these moms are, are experiencing this good news. doesn't make us great. It doesn't, make, doesn't mean that we're special because what we've done. It's just we get to partner with people who are struggling, saying, hey, we understand. Because we understand struggling. We understand difficulty. And we have good news. And so we shared this good news with them, and all of a sudden everything changed for their Christmases. And really kind of everything changed for our Christmas, didn't it? Because it's not, the, it's not just about us. It's about, it's about giving and receiving and the gifts of Jesus and the gifts that we receive and, and the gift we get to give. The story of Christmas, right? It changes everything. Lives, the good news, it changes everything. And so as we sit here this morning and we're just four days away from Christmas, right? It's so easy to get lost in everything going on. But the reality for us this morning is that when Christmas happened, when the good news that Jesus saves was spoken into the creation, when it was spoken into the world, everything changed. The New Testament all of a sudden, it was it inaugurated this, this new movement in the New Testament. Everything changed because Jesus, God, Emmanuel, God with us, stepped into creation and said, Don't worry, I got it. All the brokenness, all the sorrow, all the pain, all the sin, I got it. Don't worry, I got it. You sure? I got it. Okay. Everything changed. Everything, our purpose, our calling in life, everything changed. Our attitudes, the way we go into relationships, our interactions with the world, it changed. Because we now were carrying the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, God putting flesh on to set human beings and all the rest of creation free from the power of sin, hell, darkness, and death. It's good news. It is good news. The good news, the gospel, is a power, according to Romans 1, 16, 17. It is a power that creates a new life in us. 
It is a, it is a power that ultimately recreates broken places. It is power that sets people free. It is power that saves. And the thing I want you to recognize, I want you all to hear this. If you grew up in church, man, you've just been, you've been like heard the gospel again and again and again and again and again. To the point when you hear it now, you think you understand it. To the point then, unfortunately, you begin to become immune to it because you've all, because you want to hear something new. But let me tell you something. The gospel saved you yesterday. It is the only thing that can save you today, and it's the only thing that can save you tomorrow. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but if it saved you from the sin of your past, only it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, can save you from the sin trying to easily entangle and ensnare you today. And I don't know about you, but I'm probably going to wrestle with sin tomorrow. And it's only the good news that Jesus saves that can set me free tomorrow also. And so when we sit here and we tell the story of Christmas, I'm talking about the moment of the angels proclaiming to the shepherds, saying, you're a bunch of sheep herders who are really sheep yourselves. And only God can save you. Only God can save you tomorrow and every day after that, after that, after that. And so the gospel is not just some neat, fun story we get to tell from yesterday. It's the story that we tell of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That only Jesus saves. That it's only the power of God that can ever set you free from anything you're wrestling with in life. And so every day we say, oh, the good news of Jesus has set me free and is setting me free forever. So we sit here in this moment proclaiming the good news of God, Emmanuel, come to earth to save us, which means ultimately this is power from God. I mean, if, if you want to see the, the, there's only one power of God. It's the gospel of Jesus. And he expresses it lots of different ways, but everything finds its foundation in the gospel and the good news that Jesus saves, that he heals, that he redeems, that he sets free forever. The gospel the good news that Jesus saves is powerful and it affects change. One of mine and Randall's uh, kind of men, book mentors, we got to meet he and his wife this past year. His name is Alan Hirsch, his wife Deborah. Got to hang out with them for, for, for a couple of nights. It was a lot of fun. But one of the things I, I heard him speak one time, told a story about a friend of his who is, um, who is a pastor, but has been called to, the, to, to minister to the Islamic culture. And to those who are in his, in, who are Muslim, and I, I mean, I've, I've, we've heard him. I, I've real, I kind of put two and two together and figure out who this was. But I mean, he's like, I mean, he's like hanging out these high up people, and he's unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the NSA, National Security Agency, in Washington D.C., called him one day and said, "Hey, we're having this symposium, this conversation about how do we handle radical Islam? We think you have something to share. Would you come be a part of it? Would you? Could we fly to Washington D.C. and let you speak to the people who are making decisions in our nation's capital?" He's like, "I guess so." 
So they fly him up, and he said it was overwhelming that I sat there and listened to them have horrible ideas or no ideas at all how to handle radical Islam. So finally, I just said, well, hey, he's a big, he's a big Texan. He said, hey, do you mind if I say something? And I'm like, sure. He goes, he said just real bluntly, there's only one way to counteract radical Islam across the world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I kind of just looked at him. He says, let me tell you something. Armies can't defeat Islam because it's such an ideal inside of them of religion, a love for God, and a family that if you bomb them, all they're going to do is get impassioned because with what they do in worship of their God, they want to be obedient to him and love one another. So, so all they're going to do is raise back up and gel together and be even stronger. The only thing in the history of the world that has ever to counteract that is something that is more radical and more powerful I'll say it again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, because it's the same ideals. A love of their God. A willingness to sacrifice everything that they have in obedience to him. A life of living in family and community together. The thing that separates us, the primary thing that separates us, is we have a loving God who relates to us personally that we are with every day. He said, if you want to counteract radical Islam, you need to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these leaders go, hey, would you be willing to tell us more about the gospel of Jesus Christ? He said, yes. Why? Because there's something powerful in the good news of Jesus that doesn't just save an individual, but it literally saves the world. The good news that Jesus saves is what sets nations free. And so when we celebrate Christmas, God forbid we make it about the fat, jolly man in the red suit. Use that to teach your kids about faith. That's fine. Believing things you can't see. But make sure it leads to Jesus, because only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he saves, can save Gary, Aragon, that can set you free, save me, and save the world. And so this morning, you should be getting excited, because you know the gospel. You know Jesus. You know the one who is all-powerful, who can set people free. You know him. He's not just a neat story that you tell, but it's something that's living and breathing and active right now and for us today. It's the, it's the only power, the gospel, the good news, is the only power that can ultimately save, bring breakthrough, and bring freedom in anything and everything. From radical Islam to your marriage. So my question this morning, I want us to stop, and I just want you to think about this. It's great to talk about this theoretically, but what is the thing that only God, that you need God to bring breakthrough in? Like, what's the thing? Like, what's the personal thing in your life if you're like, Man, this is the thing that's overwhelming. This is the thing that I can't do. This is the thing I can't provide. This is the thing I'm just, I'm stuck. What are the things I see around me that are too big for me to, to, to affect and impact? What, what is around me that I see that I, that I'm just overwhelmed? I need God to do. Take 30 seconds. I'm going to drink some water and you're going to think about it. 
Because I want, as we move forward, to make something personal about the gospel. Other than you got saved when you were five years old, I want something today that you need the gospel of Jesus to rescue you from, set you free from, or to bring breakthrough in. Take 30 seconds. So for us, the power of God, you all have something. For us to move into this gospel good news reality, then it's imperative that we begin to live life with a gospel lens. It's not just something that I I look at, but it's the gospel becomes something I look through. Does that make sense? I don't just look at it so, hey, that's cool. But it's because of the lens that then affects how I view everything else in life, you understand how lenses work. I put a pair of sunglasses on, it gets dark, right? If I put Costa del Mars on, they massage my eyes. That's just how they work, right? You get this reality. You put a lens on. You put a lens on, you see things, and it affects everything that you see. So this morning what I want to do, I want us to talk about this gospel lens that we put on that affects how we see everything in life. Because when I see life through the gospel lens... That Jesus saves, that Jesus sets free, that it's all powerful, that it affects how I live my life, how I relate to people and the things that I do. And this morning I'm going to look at the story of a very familiar story to you from Luke chapter 15. I don't want you to tune me out either because you know the story. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's actually the story of the father is what the story is about. The prodigal son just happens to be in the story. The story is about the father. And this morning I want to dive in because what you're going to see is a contrast between the father who sees life through a gospel lens and through the older son who does not. And as we read through the story and as I talk through this, I want you to ask yourself, who do I identify with most in my life? Okay, so Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, let's read together or just read along with me. It says this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to, to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, 
threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. So a couple of points of clarity I want to make in the story regarding these characters. In the story, the father represents God, <clears throat> represents God and his love for his children. But the goal of this story is that we would become the father. So often when we read this story, we're told, which one do you identify with? Are you like the prodigal in need of salvation? Are you, are you like the elder son, very, very religious and works-oriented? And we told, like, which one are you? But the reality is God's goal is not for us to be like one of them. The goal is for us to be like the father, seeing through a gospel lens. Talk about that in a few minutes. The younger son has disowned the father and his family, and through his actions, he is literally treating them as, as if they are dead to him. Like, hey, give me your inheritance because you were dead to me. And so he's literally cut off and separated from the family, right? He's, he's treated them as if they're dead. And so when he goes off and now he kind of wakes up, he cannot save himself, but he is definitely in need of salvation. He cannot save himself. He cannot provide for himself. He needs help. Then you have the older son who he's the one who does all the right things. Like, you know, the, you know those kids, like they're the, do, they're the do-gooders in the family, right? They always do the right stuff, right? They do all the right things on the outside, but inside his heart is unclean. He works with, and listen, he works with and for the father, but does not actually know him. Doesn't actually have this tenderness of relationship. It's primarily a work relationship. And I don't know about you, but a relationship that is primarily only, only a work relationship is not something I desire and aspire to on a regular basis. Because I'm going to be in relationship with someone that I want it to impact the entirety of my being, to be both logical and emotional. And so the, the picture of the older son with the father is that there's a, the, the opposite is this loving relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm being obedient because I love you. And I just want to do this because I just love you. But you don't see any of that here. He, he's struggling. His work is birthed out of duty rather than love for his father. 
So this is a story of contrast. Primarily, I want to make the contrast between the elder son and the father. And I want us to, to name three lenses. If we want to begin to see life through a lens that releases the power of God, that, that sees things through the lens of the gospel, this reality of Jesus saving, that we, if we want to live in the context of a life that sees breakthrough, that expects breakthrough, that, that sees the reality that only Jesus can save, then we have to put on three lenses. I'm going to name those this morning. The first one is the lens of serving over being served. The lens of serving over being served. The prodigal father, he serves an undeserving son, doesn't he? He prepares and he places the robe on him. He puts the family ring back on him, saying, symbolizing, yes, and it says, we are back together. As if, here's your marriage ring, here's your family ring, right? He prepares a party. He gives him sandals to put on his feet. He kills the fattened calf. I mean, this is like, I mean, this is like roasting a pig all day long, just turning that thing, waiting to eat, right? And they prepare it now for the son who deserves none of it. He deserves nothing. The father has the right here to say, I will bring you back in when you prove yourself. When you earn it. When you show me that you've done enough good things to prove yourself to be worthy to come back to the family. Because I don't want you taking advantage of me again. Instead, the father says, I hear you, I hear you, come on in. I got everything prepared. I cannot, listen, this is awesome. You were home, I just want to serve you. This beautiful picture contrasts with the elder son, who in his selfishness can only think of himself, how it affects him, and how unfair it is. He's living his life like so many of us, getting frustrated because people aren't doing enough for us. Living life frustrated that someone's not serving you. You served enough, right? I mean, it's like, how many back rubs I'd give my wife for? I'd at least get one back rub, right? I mean, seriously, Jesus, rebuke her in Jesus' name, right? No, we live in this life of, of thinking that we deserve stuff, and we think more about being served, and that's how we live our life. How many of you got frustrated just this week because someone didn't do something for you that you thought you deserved? Any customer service issues at Target this week? We live in this place by nature that we primarily think of being served, but the lens of the gospel is about serving. Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, listen, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took the nature of a servant Though rich, he became poor. Though great, he became nothing. Rather than conquering sin through power, he did it through sacrifice. He won by losing everything. This is in direct opposition to our culture, isn't it? Which values power, recognition, wealth, and status. But the good news, the lens of the good news, is that Jesus took that culture and crushed it and said the culture of the, in the economy of my kingdom, the culture of Christianity, the culture of my people is to follow the Father by serving those who probably aren't worth it in the eyes of the world. 
Are we by nature servants or those who like to be served? The second lens, the second lens is the lens of seeing the inside over the outside. What do I mean by that? Well, think for a second. All of us in this room have been impacted in some degree by, by cancer. And this person gets diagnosed, like go to the doctor because something's not feeling right. They go to the doctor, they get diagnosed, they come home, and guess what? They look fine. They look completely fine. On the outside, everything looks fine. Like, you've got to be kidding. You're healthy. You went, you went running yesterday morning for like three or four miles. Yes, but I have cancer. And I'm on the inside, I'm being eaten up to the point that's going to kill me. And the lens of the gospel says we focus more on the inside than we do on the outside. The younger son is an example of a person who is unworthy of being served, right? He's taken full advantage of his father, like, just come against him. He's now gone out. He's abused everything he's had. And now he looks nasty. He smells nasty. Everything's gross about him on the outside. But the father realizes it's not what he smells like. It's a broken and contrite heart that matters. He comes and in verse 21, it says, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The primary energies of our life are not about doing all the right things on the outside. But it's about a heart being pure before God of loving him, of serving him, of having our lives be committed to him, but traditional religion teaches that if we do good deeds, if we follow the moral laws on the outside, if we focus our life on the outside things that God will love us, he will come into my heart, he will bless me, and that he will give me salvation and give me life. But the good news is the opposite of this. It is a prodigal son saying, God, I come to you with a broken and contrite heart. I come in need. I come recognizing my humility. I come recognizing I have nothing to offer of any value or of any good. I live every day with the lens, Father God, that I can't prove anything on the outside, but I can love you on the inside. God, my heart is pure before you, Jesus. And when that happens, he looks and says, this is what I'm looking for, a broken and contrite heart before me, not those who are trying to earn my favor earn my salvation, trying to produce things in your own power, but those who come needy. Listen, I'm guessing because I'm reading between the lines here on this, so forgive me on this, and don't quote me on this one at least, but I, I have a personal belief that the father knew everything going on with his son. We know that because the the son, the old elder son names us. We know he's been, he's been ruining everything and squandering everything on prostitutes. We've heard the stories. Like he knows what's going on. The father knows what's going on. He knows that he's unclean. He's, he knows how bad he is. He knows everything about him. I believe he's aware. But when his son, and he could have gone to him. Could have gone to him. But he knew it required first a broken and a contrite heart, because he could not, he could clean the outside as much as he wanted to, but he could never clean the inside. What mattered to the Father and to, and to Jesus was the inner heart. A focus on the inner heart, the lens of seeing the inside and preferring the inside over the outside. 
Third lens is the otherworldly lens over a worldly lens. Otherworldly lens over the worldly lens. So the father, I believe, lived in hope. I believe he lived in expectation that his son would be saved. Why? Because the father was looking for his son. Verse 20 says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The father saw him. The father was probably always working with his one eye like this. Right? Always looking. Always aware. Always looking. Why? Because he was not defined. His worldview was not defined by what he knew of his son. His worldview was defined by what he knew of the power of Jesus to set free. Do we live life with this otherworldly lens, knowing that at any moment, in every situation, no matter how bad hell has gotten a hold of someone or something, that at any moment we live with the hope and the expectation and the trust and the belief and the faith that at any moment God could set free and I'm expecting it and living my life with my eyes focused on the otherworldly reality of God's power. This is the lens of the good news. That at all times and at any moment, come hell or high water, in the midst of hell, I know that expect that God is going to move and to set free and to bring breakthrough. He believed that God could set his son free. He lived in expectation and faith and trust. Do we, do we live with an otherworldly lens that defines how I do everything, where, I integrate, where, where the integration of my faith affects every aspect? Listen, how does the gospel, listen, businessmen, those who, who run, have people working for you, ma- managers, whatever it may be, I want you to listen to me. How does the good news of Jesus affect how you do business every day? It should. It should affect how you relate to people, how you manage people. Listen, it is a lie straight from the pit of hell. This phrase, this is not from Jesus. It's just business. That is not a biblical God-centered phrase. There's no such thing as it's just business. Everything is seen through the lens of the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything is personal to Jesus. How does it impact, and how, do, how does it impact family? How does it impact the way you do school? I mean, I heard, I read a book one time, I didn't like it. Those who are in high school and college especially, where this guy who was on a university campus, and he said this, how does the gospel affect you in going to class? Does it honor God by skipping your classes to do something else? I went, ouch, I love skipping classes. How does it impact all that I am doing in everything in my life? Because we know Jesus is Lord over all things. Christmas is not a story that we tell. It is a living out of the power of God every day in my life through the lens of seeing everything through the reality that only Jesus saved is saving and will save forever. Am I seeing power? Am I seeing the gospel released? Am I seeing life through the lens 
of the good news of Jesus every moment of every day and every situation. It's only the good news of Jesus that can rescue us from radical Islam and to save your marriage. Here the buck, here the here the ends. Everything in between is what he does, and only his gospel can do. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that whether we know it or not, we are a people of the good news. If we are Christians, then we have experienced the good news, and we now are carriers and proclaimers of the good news that only God can save anything and everything. We've experienced it, and now we get to share it. Father, this morning I pray that you would convict our hearts and our minds to recognize Jesus, that we are either the younger son, the older son, or the father, or somewhere in between all of those. And I pray this morning, Jesus, that you would reveal to us this lens of the gospel and how it affects even the things that we named this morning that we need breakthrough in. Jesus, we need you. Amen.